Welcome back to the It's Telehealth podcast. If you are a new listener, we want to welcome you to the squad. If you're a returning listener, we want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for coming back. We want to hear from you. We want to know what the best part of this episode was. So leave your name and where you're from in the comments and let's get into this episode. Four, three, two, one. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. I'm incredibly excited to have an in-depth conversation about the importance of mental health with an amazing individual today, Brad Reed. Brad, thanks so much for joining the show, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Keenan. Um, after our talk the other day, it just seemed like the most seamless, natural next step uh, in our relationship. So I'm very happy to be here and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I was incredibly intrigued with the ability for you to be able to communicate the importance of mental health, self-awareness, and the complexities that come around with really understanding ourselves. So before we kind of dive into some of those subjects we were talking about the other day, why don't you give everybody a little bit of background on Brad Reed, who he is, where he's at in the world right now, um, and kind of your perspective on where we're sitting as a country, as a world, as a nation, as a, you know, as a planet. That's a beautiful question. Okay. And I'll try to make a long story short. So um, why don't we start back when I was around 13, 14, when I sort of, it was thrown into the world of mental health because I was dealing with very severe anxiety both general anxiety disorder and morbid OCD. Um, you can look those up if you're not familiar. And that was back when mental health was still relatively weird. Okay, it was, it was sort of understood, but not really. The resources were kind of there, but not really. And so I lived through that era where we were sort of going through a transition, which is trying to normalize and identify it as, leg as a legitimate issue. And I was lucky I was able to get a psychologist, which was nice to help me through high school. But these problems continued well through university into my 20s. And I was on antidepressants and different medications to get me through. Ultimately, I decided this is not the way I want to go. Antidepressants are not good for your health or for your longevity or dealing with the things. And I went the holistic route. Um, and then I spent probably the majority of my 20s quite physically sick and mentally ill. And those two compound each other quite a bit. So I had very severe chronic nerve pain, very severe chronic muscle pain, very severe chronic bone pain, in addition to chronic fatigue, coupled with the mental health issues that I was wrestling with. And so I had to find and utilize all sorts of tools to help me heal and grow. And that brought me from London, Ontario, Canada, to Bangkok, Thailand, to Ho Chi Minh City today. And there's a lot of a lot of meat in between that, of course, but I met monks and gurus and mentors and healers and you name it, I tried it to get better. And ultimately I did because I transformed my world from the inside out. And in terms of mental health today, I still see very much a sort of cause and effect, mechanical, pharmaceutical, medical imposition on the idea of mental health. You're diagnosed with ABC. You have this. I have this. And we haven't developed nearly, in my opinion, um, as well of a holistic, integrated, well-rounded approach to mental health that we should, especially in the West. It's still very, how do I resolve this as quickly as possible? What do I need to do to fix this problem? And how do I get back to normal life by medication or by the quickest therapy possible? And so I think in the world today, to answer your question, is we're sort of post pandemic in a way. And I think the pandemic woke a lot of people up to what was actually happening in their world, both their inner world and their outer world. It gave people space, which we don't normally get in our lives to do a lot of deep reflection, build some self-awareness and build some greater depth of understanding of where they wanna go in their lives, who they really are, what isn't working, what is working. And so we're seeing sometimes the aftermath of this and people are looking for help. You know, they want guidance. They want consolation. They want healing. They want growth. They want community. And so COVID in a lot of ways amplified what was already going on inside of people um, because it gave them the space to recognize what was happening. And we've seen a lot of shift towards healing, growth, and um, recovery, I would say. I would completely agree with you. You know, one of the things I said on a recent episode of the podcast was the pandemic, although it was a terrible experience for so many people, we lost people who we love, people who we cared about, our communities changed. The benefit of the pandemic was the space that it created for us to do that inner reflection. 
And I think that inner reflection was an enlightening process for a lot of people as they got to know themselves when they didn't have all the distractions that were going around in their lives. And so when we had to spend time with our family members, when we had to spend time with our friends, with our, with our individual selves, I think we saw a brand new side to ourselves that made us out of necessity kind of come into understanding of who we really are. And that's kind of what I heard you say there. Um, and I don't think a lot of people really take the time to even settle down today in a post pandemic world, like you're talking about to recognize mm-hmm. the amount of time that we had to do the self-reflection, to do the self-understanding and to do the self-discovery um, that I think really leads to the fulfillment of what you're really talking about. Um, yeah. I want to take a couple seconds to dive into the idea of the prescription first type mentality that we see in mental health, which I think so many people are starting to recognize, but also push back against more leaders, more individuals who I talk to today have a holistic approach to mind and body and making sure that these things are aligned because being able to get the quick fix, as you said, isn't always the best solution. So I'd like to kind of get your perspective on the, I would say prescription first mentality that mental health and just medicine has taken for so long. Yeah, I mean, there's so many angles I can go with that, but I think I'll, I'll explain it in context of the paradigm that the West has learned to live in, which is very much, I'm going to do this, so I have this, and then I can be this. A great example that most of us can relate to is I'm going to go to school and study, do. Therefore, I can have a job and make money and have status and be successful, have. Then I can be happy, content, confident, and at peace. And actually, the emphasis on each of those is quite inverted, just meaning the do has the biggest emphasis, the have has the second, and then the be has the third. And so in that paradigm, it makes complete sense that we're going to do something so we can have relief and then be happy again, hence pharmaceuticals, hence a conventional approach to mental health, which luckily is changing. The paradigm that I like to work with and that I've learned through so many years in different modalities like Buddhism, healing, somatic work, breath work, etc., is be, have, do. So let's make a concerted effort to transform our lives from the inside out so we can be happy, joyous, content, grounded first. And then we can have a life that's more meaningful, that's more purpose-driven, that's more harmonious. And then we can do things that are in line with who we really are and what we really want. So it's a complete, almost a complete inversion of what we've learned to understand at the cognitive level, which is we're going to do this, have this, therefore we get to be. The whole way that I work now with myself and then with the people I work with is be, have, do. And this, in essence, could probably encapsulate a lot of the holistic approaches that we do. With mindfulness, you're sitting, you're meditating, you're being present. With breath work, again, you're going through exercises which ground you, which are cathartic, which get into your unconscious mind. Beautiful, beautiful modalities, right? With somatic work, same thing, whether it's yoga or movement, you're being first. (laughs) And then it's like, wow, what does life feel like or what does life look like now? And it's my firm belief as I've come to understand through all the practices that I've done is that we experience our world in its entirety from the inside out. And that's, that's, there's so many layers to that that we can unpack, but if we accept that premise and experience that, which is most important, then the corollary to that idea is, well, then I can change my life, (laughs) change our internal state, change our life. I'll leave it at that because there's so many angles we can unpack there, but I mean, I believe everything that you're saying, because I've had so many experiences in my personal life where and I feel like so many people who are listening today can share in the experience of waiting for that event to occur outside of ourselves that's going to change the way in which we see everything. And I think a lot of people are on a downhill runaway slope at this point in time, waiting for the change to happen somewhere else to affect yeah. us. Yeah. And so one of the things I get most excited about when I hear you say these things is, I've always had a saying in my mind, or at least to myself, and I've shared it with others, that life in itself is a perception-based process. You know, if you're talking about taking in light through your eyes, having that image translated to your brain, and then being able to perceive everything that you're seeing and taking in outside of you, this entire experience of life in itself really does start here. 
And being yeah. able to change in here and then permeating outwards makes a lot more sense to being able to see the world around you that you want when you start creating that inside of you in the first place. And that just mm -hmm. seems like the appropriate way to fit to approach that entire problem rather than looking at what things can I do out here to reverse engineer the process to get back to me where I'm actually happy and centered. Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned, and this isn't just me, I mean, I've learned this from my mentors and my gurus and monks that I see and the masters and healers, et cetera. Our most, uh, our deepest self, which is the self, the Keenan or the Brad, which is alleviated or healed from the trauma and the burdens of life and the fear and the insecurity and the pain, our most natural state is joyous, harmonious, grounded, peaceful, and present. And anybody who's got into a deep state of samadhi or focus in meditation can relate to what exactly what I'm talking about. You feel fundamentally whole and complete when we're in that state because we're, we're fully present. We're living in that moment in the world of possibility, in the world of creation, and we're not hindered or impeded by the burdens of our past. And it's like, wow, I can just be here and be whole and complete and nourished. And the thing is that you, sometimes people see that as sort of a, a, a fluke or a, you know, a, a temporary state. And a lot, of, a lot of times they are, but the point is we can cultivate a life which makes that experience much more visceral and frequent and intuitive. And so from that point of view, it's like, wow, do I really need to do very much? <laughs> right. Everything I have is already here. And I walk people through exercises to experience this. Um, it's a radical change in perception. And just like you talk about, um, I always say in my workshops, you know, we, we see the world through our eyes, but we experience it through our hearts. But the experiential component is far larger than the perceptual component. Mm -hmm. Change how we feel, we change how we see period. And there's, again, there's exercises in my workshops and I show this to people in, in real time and they're like, man, that's incredible. And I go, okay, well, we can apply that at work too. And with relationships and with whatever else. Right. So I, you hit the nail on the head, but again, it all starts at the center. Yeah. But where does, where does the, uh, the searching from your perspective start when we start looking outward for all of the experiences and the validation that we need to re really be truly happy? Do you think it comes from our experiences and kind of being exposed to the social media, being exposed mm -hmm. to the hierarchy of the systems that we participate in, even at a young age to get acceptance of others? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I often are, am very intrigued by the conversation about mental health in school. I've had conversations mm -hmm. with other people about um, emotional IQ, understanding what your emotions are, understanding how to control and recognize your emotions and not letting them get to the point where we explode. Those are mm -hmm. amazing skills to have at a young age, but we're never really told about the importance of this thing up here, other than its ability to gather knowledge and then put it back out in a standardized format on a test. And so I wonder what your perspective is in some of the early stages of why we kind of get astray, because when you say it, it makes so much sense, but why is it so difficult to kind of find ourselves in that place consistently? So in the book that I'm writing, I talk about this and there in the way I've learned to understand my, the work that I do, there's five levels of awareness. Okay. The first level of awareness is what I call the cognitive level of awareness, which is very cause and effect, very perceptual, very as I would say, cognitive, very intellectual. And so from a very young age, you're right, you and I, in our generation, we didn't learn things like emotional literacy or emotional granularity or mindfulness or self-awareness or self-regulation. And mo most of us in the West did not, or even around the world. And so the concept of cultivating a somatic experience of life or an emotional experience of life or an intuitive experience of life is just sort of weird and bizarre to everybody mm -hmm. because we're not taught that way. We're taught most of the modalities, even in mental health are still at the cognitive level of awareness. Psychotherapy is mostly cognitive with the intent to reach the unconscious CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. It's mostly cognitive with the intent of helping regulate emotions and body sensations a little bit. But again, the vast majority of the work in this field, or even the way we understand it is still at the level of the mind. And 
the level of the mind, the understanding, the mind's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's, 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 we, we have architects and engineers and physicians, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it's limited in its capacity to understand the full experience of life. Mm. Because again, if we go to all the Eastern philosophies or all the somatic philosophies, or we look at trauma, or we look at energy, or we look at deeper aspects of neurobiology, it's all the unconscious. It's all somatic. And from a young age, we don't develop the literacy, even the language or the experiential um, frameworks to understand that our life is really from the inside out. And so it's weird to people. You know, I had a guy comment on my LinkedIn the other day. He's like, man, it's really weird to give your broken arm gratitude. <laughs> right. And some, you're right. Some people would actually say that, like, what are you doing? Go to a doctor. I did for, for yeah. the record. But it's like the idea that, you know, I can cultivate a different change of state in my internal environment, which is going to help me holistically deal with this injury was very bizarre to him. Very, very bizarre. It's bizarre to a lot of people because, again, we understand the world at the cognitive level, cause and effect, empirical. What do we need to do? How do we fix it? And we're missing this whole, it's like the tip of the iceberg, right? We're missing this whole understanding of intuition, of our emotional landscape, of our felt sense. In traumatology and trauma, we talk about the felt sense, which just is navigating our emotional experience in any given moment. And so there's my sort of long roundabout answer, but we're just not taught it. It's not well understood. It's not really intuitive. Even mindfulness, when you look at the West, right? It's still very much in the framework of if I take an eight week program, I get X, Y, Z result. And mm -hmm. I think that's great. Okay. Because that's sort of the, the, uh, the carrot on the stick. Yeah. And then people go through it and it ends up being very somatic and very experiential, but we're still using um, the cause and effect kind of language at the cognitive level to explain stuff that's very somatic. And so it's just weird to people that they, we don't have a good concept of it because we haven't been taught it and we haven't experienced it. The language is a key word that I like to focus on there. You know, as we come up through our different experiences, we only are able to communicate how we feel, how we perceive things based on the language that we have available to express ourselves. And so when we talk about our mental health, that's one of the biggest issues that I see across so many different demographics of people, different cultures of people, is their approach to providing the language and the understanding and the frameworks around what mental health really is. And it's very interesting to me. I had a guest on the podcast um, quite a few episodes ago, uh, Dr. Tara from the University of Cal State Fullerton, and she's a relationship coach. And she talks about healthy sex lives. And the conversation she brought up was, it's very interesting that we have these gigantic portions of our lives that are not just physical, the way you feel, but we have an entire mental side of our lives that we don't really pay attention to. But we also have a gigantic reproductive part of our lives as well, that unfortunately, the frameworks of modern education, or at least how we came through the system, didn't really address or give us the understanding to be able to have those conversations to even discover what we really are looking for to better understand what's going on. It just seems like a surface level type of activity to be like, that's what that is. All right, let's move on and let's pay attention to the things that really matter in the societal norms. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, if, if we can go back to your question about, you know, why, why is mental health treated in such a mechanistic, mechanical, pharmaceutical way? I think this is it. Because when we actually look at the language around mental health, it's still very mechanical. Um, we tend to label things, in a, you know, anxiety is sort of a pejorative, mm -hmm. depression is kind of a pejorative. Like it, when you hear that, it, it's not, it's like, oh, you're depressed or oh, that, that kind of sucks. Or I'm anxious, this, this kind of sucks. Um, and so we tend to hyper validate the negative experiences of mental health with these labels. In general, in the semantic landscape, people hear those words and they don't feel excited. They don't feel joyous. They don't feel like, well, that's a perfect opportunity to transform my life, you know? And so one of the things that I've been taught from my teachers and I do in my own work is changing the labels or the language around the experience. So as opposed to saying I'm anxious or I'm depressed or I have anxiety or I have depression, we're actually doing exactly what you say, which is building a different semantic landscape around what it is that we're going through. 
So as opposed to saying I'm anxious, we could say, well, I feel a little bit tense right now. Mm. And certain people in my life are, are giving me a bad feeling, but I recognize that the feeling is predominantly in my stomach and in my chest. Okay. And then we sort of go from there. So we're actually developing uh, or practicing and cultivating the um, ability to describe our states of being in words that go well outside of this paradigm. And to the point where actually we can describe it in ways that are uplifting and positive and joyous, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's a very interesting point, but again, we are confined. And the first aspect of course, of dealing with the problem is building awareness around it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not gonna blame um, necessarily the, the medical establishment or the mental health industry entirely for that, because we needed something to call what this experience was. Right. But it's very, very limited in its capacity now, especially nowadays when we understand so much more. <clears throat> something that you said there made a lot of sense to me because naturally when we have feelings of, or identify feelings as being anxious or being depressed, or having feelings of anxiety, when we have the ability to break them down into what I would call modular understandings of what we're truly feeling, from my perspective, it's a lot less scary. Like you said, I feel tense right now in my body. It's primarily in my stomach. I also feel this, but I also recognize the source in which these feelings are being generated from. It seems like something that is much more tackleable. You can kind of break it down into its sections and kind of really understand what what is causing it and how you can kind of get past these moments. You know, often I have people in my life who express feelings of being overwhelmed. And in those moments, we don't have the appropriate frameworks or understanding to be able to audit what is truly happening in those moments. So the entire feeling in itself becomes scary, right? And sometimes slowing down in those moments and being like, okay, Let's break this into portions. What are we really feeling here? Gives you a unique perspective to kind of, you know, chip away or at least take it one brick at a time. I completely agree. And when we look at the way we pathologize negative feelings, I'm very anxious. I'm very depressed. Ah, inherently, again, you're, you're adding fuel to the fire. Yeah. But if we can be none, if we can cultivate a sense of becoming non-judgmental observers of what's ever happening in the moment, which mindfulness is a great way to do this meditations and breath work, et cetera, is you're right. We can develop clarity and acuity and distinguishment. So in, in one of the words that always comes to mind after, you know, over a decade of doing this work is the capacity to make distinguishments. So when we first start this work and we don't feel good, I'm sad. Therefore my life is sad. Everything sucks. Mm-hmm. These days, my capacity to make distinguishments, even in very, very refined distinguishments in my moment-to-moment experience is like, oh, feel a little sad. Oh, now there's a little joy. Oh, now it's like my body's tingling. So inherently, these feelings are transient, and I don't get attached to that old um, catastrophizing kind of spiraling that I used to. And a lot of people who go through this work do, particularly if you're going to work at the somatic level which is, again, the capacity to become non-judgmental observers, objective observers of what we're going on. And we can, when we can, in a way, learn to separate ourselves from the emotional experience, then we can see what's actually going on. Like you mm-hmm. said, we can look at these little elements. Maybe it's person A or situation B. Maybe I just need to get up for a walk. Whatever it is, it looks different for everyone. But then you're right, it's palpable. It's tangible. And then we can trigger those do parts of our mind to maybe do something a little bit different. In my personal framework that I developed, I, I work with awareness, alignment, and action. So intuitive awareness, which is a deep, very deep level of awareness, is sort of built around the felt sense. Mm-hmm. And alignment, which is you know internal alignment or intentional alignment, is when we actually fix the emotional issues that we're going through through self-regulation. And then inspired action, which is moving in the world in line with who you are and what you want. But that awareness component is extremely important because the granularity that we can develop with that and the acuity we can develop with that and the way we can deconstruct these problems that we're going through into their bits. And sometimes it resolves them completely. Right. It's like, oh, it's just a feeling. There's nothing I need to do except sit with it. Right. Or it's just, I just feel this way for 10 minutes and actually it's fine. I can't tell you the number of times in my life, Keenan, where a problem 
became a non-problem after 10 minutes of breathing. <laughs> I mean, it's I, like, have, I, I have so many of those experiences, just like you have, where in the moment when the feeling is first coming over me, I feel like it's overwhelming and it's transforming my entire world. But sometimes yeah. when you have the awareness to sit in that moment, it's not as mm -hmm. scary. The way I think about it is, you know, somebody popping out of the closet and kind of trying to scare you in that moment, your body reacts. But if you were sure. to just sit there and wait for a second, you would then see the clarity of that. This isn't as scary as what I just kind of created in my own mind. You know, me and you were talking the other day and we talked about the book, um, the untethered soul and mm -hmm. the uh, analogy that's given in there for your internal voice and looking at that voice as a roommate. That was mm -hmm. one of the most impactful things that I've come across in a book in a long time, because it gave me that sense of awareness, but that distance to be the observer for the things that I feel are me. And part of that book that really kind of got to me was the challenge of asking yourself to be the observer said, listen to the voice in your head. Who is that voice? If you're hearing that voice talk, that means that that is not you. So you are observing that voice inside of you. And instantaneously, that distance that was created between me and my internal voice was something that I've really tried to lean into because it creates so much power and authority for me to sit in the moments of discomfort and be able to ride out the waves as the storm passes and then everything calms back out. And that's something that I've only come across recently, but I feel like those are fundamental frameworks that help people navigate through feelings of challenge and hardship that can be deployed regularly. But unfortunately, we're just never taught those things at a wide range or a wide scale. Hey guys, just want to jump in in this week's episode and pause real quick to give a little bit of love to everybody who is still listening. You know, the feedback that we get about these episodes is incredibly important to us. And we'd love to kind of hear your feedback on how the conversation is going, the topics of discussion, as well as any type of improvement that you guys would like to see to the show. But just want to hop in here, show a little bit of love. Let's get back to it. Yeah. And I have a few things to say to that one great book. And that's a very good, that's a very good tool to use at the cognitive level because you're actually observing a voice and you're, you're sort of in CBT, we'd call it a reframe, a mm -hmm. cognitive reframe. It's like, okay, voice A saying bad things, actually sh shut up. We can say good things. Yeah. Okay? So very, very good tool. Um, and most of our lives, right. We're in a very reactive state of being. So let's just imagine ourselves feeling something uncomfortable. If we look at our tendency to do have and be, we want to do something to alleviate that feeling. Get a drink, go on the internet, watch YouTube, whatever it is. Yeah. Okay, do a line of cocaine, whatever it might be. We want to do something to get rid of the feeling. And when we feel a feeling that's a little bit overwhelming, actually our world contracts. Right. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. Whatever the problem is, it becomes amplified and magnified. We fixate on whatever it is because the feeling that we're going through is so intense and we want to resolve it. And then our mind kicks in. Our brain is like, how do I resolve it? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I want to fix it. What do I do? And then we can do a whole myriad of different things without having addressed the real source, which is the feeling that we're experiencing. It's a great tool you have. Um, but some things, sometimes what I do when I teach people is again, our road contracts when we have an overwhelming feeling because we have a tendency to want to do something to fix it. Somatic work, we become responsive, which is exactly what you're talking about. Becoming non-judgmental, objective observers of our thinking process and the, our emotional landscape and being able to respond in a healthy way. And sometimes by responding, you don't need to do anything mm. or at least you don't need to do a, something in the sense of cause and effect. We can just sit with the feeling and it'll alleviate itself. Right. And again, that's a very different model because in that world, we expand again. Yeah. We can see different angles. We can make those distinguishments. We can cultivate greater awareness. We're not so fixated on the problem. So we can see a different future, right? There's all these things that open up for us literally when we go back to sort of that more grounded heart centered approach to living and being. And that's a very healthy place to be responsive through. And one of the reasons I work with the breath so much with people is that physiologically, when you do intimate breath work, your body has no choice but to, to relax. Right. Literally no choice. Literally. It's like, okay, this is amazing. And then when that happens, 
what clarity can we, how can we make decisions from this place of clarity, from this place of an expanded awareness, from this place of heart-centeredness? Radically different way of, of dealing with the world when you're in the other contracted way, which is, just, I just want to do anything to get rid of the feeling. Identify the problem and fix it. Very different ways of, of very different ways of moving in the world. When I hear you describe it that way, um, the instantaneous reaction to get rid of the pain, to, to get rid of the discomfort comes from my perspective of being something of like a primal drive, right? We're discomfort. We want to get rid of this as quickly as possible. And unfortunately, with all of, I would say, the resources that we have available today, the abundance of numbing um, activities, right? I mean, like drinking, going and popping a pill, participating in activity that's just going to make it go away seems more readily available than ever before. And so I kind of start to naturally have a, a position of worry because it doesn't seem like the activities that you're talking about and creating that different perspective within ourselves and giving ourselves the opportunity to really observe without judgment seem like they are the most applicable way to get things done because of all the opportunities that people have to just distract themselves. One of the biggest things is this little guy. You know what I mean? This thing is a black hole into a world of distraction. And I really consistently think about the overall programming that occurs in our lives by consistently being bombarded by imagery, by being bombarded by stimulants that come from this thing that really do not give us any type of real satisfaction when it comes to addressing our problems. I can't tell you how many times I've caught myself subconsciously and actually running away from a problem because I don't want to deal with it. Recognizing at a later time when I have the distance from it that we're going to have to go back there at some point in time to deal with that struggle and mm -hmm. kind of ramping myself up and giving myself the courage to kind of go tackle that. But once again, I've got a little device or a distraction around me that helps me kind of like go off the path because it's not the easy path to go down. Yeah. And, and I guess in a lot of ways, right, it's, it's what we're up against. And we have to acknowledge that reality too. You know, you mm -hmm. see a lot of... Um, well-meaning, well-intentioned apps for the kind of somatic work and the mindfulness stuff. And I, I think that's good to an extent. The vast majority of people who come to see me have, have they've done that stuff already. Right. Right. They, they recognize there's inherent limitations in it and breaking things down to suit the current environment. I get you want to meet people where they are, but again, people reach a point where they, they can't take it anymore. They get burned, they get burned out. It's like, I just can't do this anymore. There mm. has to be a better way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, our nervous system doesn't distinguish between, you know, real and perceived threat. And so you talk about when our amygdala is hyperactive all the time, and we want to deal with these feelings, these threats that are in our internal environment, it's very compelling to want to do something about it. Very right. compelling. Fear and anxiety is a horribly uncomfortable feeling if, if we haven't learned to sit with it and observe it and let it resolve itself. And in that sense, I'm not gonna pretend like I, I have a, even an idea of what a solution to that might be. But I think what we're seeing is a trend towards an understanding that the paradigm that we're living in, the milieu that we're embedded in, a lot of this stuff isn't working. And it tends to be a lot more in the West. Right, you go to the east where I live, particularly around Bangkok or in uh, Thailand where I'm going next month, a lot of this stuff is far more embedded in the understanding. Don't get me wrong, Asia is not some um, far, you know, far east gem where everybody's peaceful and harmonious and materialism in a, isn't a problem. It is, for sure. But again, the cultural ethos around it is a little bit different, in particular in India where we talk about you know energy centers and the pranayama and all this wonderful stuff, which... It's a whole episode in itself. But I think being available and watching as new teachers come out, new methodologies come out that are really anchored in the idea of genuine transformation, presence, and not quick fix stuff, we're going to see a transformation. Um, I don't have a really good answer to that because it's such an enormous problem. Yeah. And you see, you see Eastern philosophies getting adapted into apps, um, which, which really dilute a lot of the richness and a lot of the wisdom that, that usually comes with a lot of these practices. And so in some senses, it gets people in, intrigued and engaged. 
Right. But then again, the, the, it begs the question, is just this becoming another coping mechanism? Mm. So a lot of people say, I need to meditate, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. Notice my language. I need to do, I need to do, I need to do. And so it's an interesting, interesting phenomenon. I think this is something that you and I can keep abreast of and, and try and figure out something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the question that was very, or there was a phrase that was very popular a couple of years ago and it was, um, there's an app for that. And it's very yeah. interesting that our society has really taken such a prevalence in that philosophy and in that first idea to fix things with an app, like this little device is going to be the answer for everything. You know, recently I had another guest on the podcast and we were talking about the attrition rate of mental health focused applications at the 30 day mark. And one of the key phrases that was brought up was the fact that we see on average about 4% retention or 96% attrition rate at the 30 day mark for a mind or for a mental health focused application. Wow. hundred people download day one and engage with the application. Human behavior is natural that we're going to be front of mind. We're going to be engaging with this tool. We're looking for the value it's going to deliver for us. If we're looking for real impact, we're talking about longevity of practice from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, 96% of the people are going to fall off the wagon by the day 30 mark. And so if we're talking about, is there an app for that? We have to really kind of approach these problems with a different perspective, because that is not the skeleton key that's going to fix all of our problems. But my biggest thing about the society that we live in today is there are so many psychological superpowers that are on the other side of this screen, keeping us engaged, behavioral scientists keeping us coming back to an application, looking for the dopamine releases. So it's like we're fighting a fight in the streets in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but on the other side of the screen, for example, there's a supercomputer that is slowly but surely changing the way in which we perceive the world and engage with each other. And so yeah. there's no surprise to me that we see a 96% attrition rate for mental health focused apps at the 30 day mark, because maybe they're not as intriguing as all the other things are that we engage with on a daily basis. And so I do think that it's you know our job and I am very envious of you because you have the distance from a lot of the continuous, I would say, influences that come with being in the United States right now because of all the negativity that we're surrounded by, because of all the subconscious effects, all of the influence that we're surrounded by on a daily basis is very impactful. I saw a post today on LinkedIn of some lady saying, I'm not doing well right now and I'm gonna be transparent about it. And I don't think that I should be. Every single day in this country specifically, there is a new massacre. There is a new tragedy. There is new clickbait that is based on the psychology of negativity to attract us towards it. And I'm very transparently starting to get burnt out. And I don't yeah. think I should have the resiliency to stand up and be as positive as I should be every single day because it's very difficult to stay dry in this rainy environment. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think I agree. I, I definitely have a unique perspective um, because I'm, I've been out of the West now for a little over four years. Mm -hmm. um, don't, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of challenges here. They're very different. Um, we're at different, different socioeconomic statuses, which comes with a very different mindset, different set of challenges. But in the West, you're right. It's just this bombardment of pejoratives and negative news and fake news, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to give it is people it's, it's constant. Left battles right, right battles left. This is the issue of the day. This is not the issue of the day. And again, I made a video about this on LinkedIn the other day, um, which is we're losing our capacity to hold space for other people. We do not have the internal capacity to open our hearts and have compassion, period, mm -hmm. because we're so stressed out. So if we go to the, the concept that I talked about earlier, which is our world contracts when we don't feel good, which in the West is a lie, how on earth can we have space for other people, especially people who we might fundamentally disagree with? We, we don't. We'd rather turn off, point the finger, blame, get angry. But that's not going to resolve the underlying issues, which is a feeling of discontentment, um, disorientation, lack of confidence, lack of groundedness. And so in a sense, Keenan, I, I think I'm a little bit old school when it comes to this approach, because I don't think, I don't believe in quick fixes. And I've learned some incredible practices that give people enormously profound experiences, which are deeply healing, but you still have to integrate that into your life. It still takes time. It still takes practice. It still takes discipline. And 
this is one of those things I, 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 I'm not going to be overly optimistic and I'm not going to be pessimistic, but it really has to take time. And I think someone like myself, you know, I got to pick an area. My, my area is, you know, somatic trauma work, body, mind stuff, because it's the most powerful transformative stuff that I've ever learned. And I've seen people adapt in their lives. Um, and that's the approach I want to take. That's sort of like the, the mark I want to make in the world, because if we absolve our inner turmoil, our trauma, our pain, that tension, our contracted state that we're in all the time, healing is a seamless byproduct of that. Compassion is a seamless byproduct of that. Empathy is a seamless byproduct of that. It just emerges from that state of being when we start to heal holistically from the inside out. But in all my experiences of everything I've learned, healing takes time. Healing takes practice. Healing takes discipline. Healing takes community. And so I think it's going to grow in concentric circles. And in my lifetime, I don't think it'll be fixed. But you know, right. you, you got to start somewhere, right? Um, <laughs> I think a huge yeah. part of that is um, being the influence that we want to see in the world. You know yeah. what I mean? One of the things that really caught my heart as you were talking about um, what you were just saying was it's very difficult to pour out of an empty cup for others. And one thing that I recognize, and it takes me back to what you said earlier about operating from a heartfelt center. How many times does Brad lash out at others when he is fully contempt in himself? That kind of behavior doesn't align, right? And so naturally I see that when we are out of ourselves, when we are you know, empty and we don't have that fulfillment inside, I used that word earlier and I'll use it again. It's much easier to lash out at others for some type of energy or reaction to get, you know, somewhere or to feel something. And I feel like very much like you said, we're at a point in time now where we are bombarded by negativity and the long-term effects of this are something that I'm very interested to see in 10 years, because I think we're going to have enough visibility on data, visibility on trends of behavior to look at the long-term effects of something like the pandemic how the negativity, all of the anxiety, all of the isolation, all of the depression, all of the feelings of being overwhelmed, all the transition that we're so not used to is going to have long-term effects. And I think a lot of people, um, you said something earlier, the post-pandemic world. I think a lot of people are expecting themselves to pop back into this normal life like everything's going to be back to normal. But like you said, there are no quick fixes for the damage that has been done behind us. It's going to take time and consistency for us to be able to get back to a place of peace and of normal and of serenity. And I don't know when that's going to happen, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. And I think in my personal approach, first of all, I think your work is fascinating. And I think we should have another conversation about this because I'm, I'm learning a lot from you today. And I think that's great. Um, very, very cool stuff. Secondly, I think, again, we have to move in concentric circles. So my approach over the next year is to put all my work out there, a lot of it's for free. Yes, I'll get clients. Yes, I'll get paid gigs. Yes, I'll get workshops. But a lot of it's for free because um, I want to build a community around the kind of work that I'm doing, mm -hmm. which is the deep somatic work where people can really transform and heal. And it's going to move from there. And, you know, in a year, maybe I'll have 100 people in two years, 500 in three years, 1000, whatever it may be. But that's all I that's all I can really do. Right. Quote, unquote, do. There's that do model of the world again. But um, a lot of the, the, the momentum is, is so far in the other direction right now that I think the best thing, again, you say, you know, be the change you want to see in the world is really, really key because the right people are going to gravitate towards that and change happens. Uh, change can be a wave, right? So if 10 people come, then 10 people pass on the message to three people, you know, there's 30. If each of those pass it on to three, there's 90. And so that's what I'm excited about, sort of the chain reaction to the domino effect of this kind of work. Um, but I'm keeping a, a, realistic, a realistic approach to what's, what's actually happening. And I find conversations like this super refreshing because you're, you're more in the know in that environment. You understand what's going on there better than I do at this point, frankly. And in a way that's great. But then a lot of the Westerners, they see what I'm doing and they wanna come talk. And so it's a good place for me to be because I do have that space and I can subsequently give them that space to be like, okay, what is this going to look like? Um, and that's what's so refreshing about the content that you're putting out 
is it is so different or it's coming from such a different perspective that it's naturally intriguing. And so Mm -hmm. the other day I commented on a piece of your content. I was like, keep this stuff coming. Why? Because, you know, we're at a time in history now where we have the, the pipes, if you will, the distribution channels to be able to put out content that is impactful for people. The one thing that I've recognized about being, you know, positive and putting out just positive messages into the world is they are so much farther reaching than you can really recognize because I come across people consistently on the LinkedIn platform or other platforms are like, Hey, I'm watching what you're doing. And it is so refreshing. I'm not participating. I'm not liking your posts, but I'm letting you know that I am watching from the outside. And so I feel like there are so much of that today, which is the silent observer to use that word again, of people who are looking for the people who are making a change like you are. And so when you have the perspective and it is so refreshing and I commend you for it, of extending your time horizon to say, Mm. I'm going to focus on this year by putting out this type of content and it's going to be free and you're going to create the foundation that you need to really build your community for sustainability and true impact. And so my hat goes off to you, Brad, you know, you're doing some awesome stuff. Yeah, man. No, I likewise. And um, I appreciate that a lot. And like I said, I mean, I, I've, I've had a bit of an eclectic rough life too. I've, I've been down the rabbit hole. This isn't theory for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've really been to the edge in a lot of different ways that we don't have time to get into, but it's, again, it becomes a seamless byproduct of that kind of work that I want to share that message and I think a lot of people, they don't resonate because it's me. They resonate because it's them. That's right. I'm, you know, I'm speaking a universal truth. And people know that at the intuitive level that a lot of what I'm saying is true. Right? There's nothing super special about me. But they hear that and they go, oh, that, that's kind of right. I felt this before. I, I ha- I've been in an expanded state before. I've been in a contracted state before. Um, I know when I feel good, I see the world differently etc whatever it may be um i know when i followed my heart and made those decisions it was the best decision i made in my life kind of thing and people know this these are universal intuitive truths that we've lost touch of and all i'm trying to do i don't consider myself a teacher i just like to facilitate the insight in people that they already have and in my brand my logo i'm not trying to sell myself i'm just trying to make a point but it says remember your deepest potential I don't say realize it or achieve it, remember it. Because I really do believe after all the work I've done and all the experience I've had that fundamentally, absolutely, our most natural state of being is whole, content, complete, vibrant, joyous. Remove the baggage. There we are. <laughs> like, I mean, your, your logo is perfect because oh, yeah. the one thing that we, talk, we talked about before was, you know, being a child, for example, your mm-hmm. authentic self before you've been jaded, before the trauma comes, before the experiences start laying on the perception and the layers in which we see the world, you are your authentic self. You have the power to be able to accomplish the things that you need. And so helping people realize or remember that potential is mm-hmm. a key part of language. And once yeah. again, kind of reiterate back to what you said a little bit ago, People resonate with your message because it is a human experience. And that's why I'm so passionate about mental health. It's because we all have mental health, you know, Mm -hmm. people, and I use this analogy. I'm not sure if we were talking about this the other day, but you know, there's a mental health funnel in my perspective where unfortunately too many people think they can only reach out or raise their hand for mental health support when they're at the pointy end or the very bottom of the funnel if you will. But there are so many people in the top layers of the funnel who are dealing with the stress, the anxiety, the depression, the feelings of being overwhelmed, the isolation, the loneliness. And they feel like they're not an appropriate candidate to raise their hand because they feel like they're not severely impacted enough. And that's Mm -hmm. sad because Mm -hmm. like you said, the entire world that we see around us, when we really break it down to those decisions about following our heart, and being our authentic selves and truly truly following our passion, everything seems to come into alignment with exactly what you said earlier and acting in who I am becoming and who I know I want to be. Sure. It's it's amazing what what healing can do. Let me give you an example because this tends to be a very polarizing issue right now, that the idea of gender identity and stuff. And I, I spoke to a friend of mine the other day and their approach to this was from a very healed perspective. They've been doing deep meditative work for a long time, somatic work, healing, and the inclusiveness in which he framed the the challenge. And 
the perspective in which it was put was, was so much more grounded and rich and harmonious and joyous and peaceful to the point where anybody listening could relate. And I'm like, that's what dialogue should be. Because every single person listening to this could probably find some relation to this story and recognize that within themselves. And unfortunately, in the political world, which I, I'm, I'm very apolitical for a lot of reasons, just right. for my Zen practice, I, I like to, because I like to connect with all kinds of people. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. We all have hearts, we all have stories. Um, but if you look at the polarizing landscape, people often come from a place of trauma, place of anger, a place of hate. And that vitriol, that um, invective is, is evident in their language. And the way we point to people and the way we marginalize people, no matter who, it happens everywhere. It's a very human thing. I'm not, it's, it's no side is more guilty than the other, in my opinion. That's, the, that's the, the advantage of being in the East. I, I see it differently. But when we, when we can approach these issues from a healed capacity, Imagine what that would do you know, to the, the political social landscape as well. Recognizing that we're far more common than we are different, right? We have far much more in common with other people than we do different. We feel the same basic eight to 10 range of emotions. We all have insecurity, we all have problems. And it's like, then we can approach things from a much more healed, integrative, holistic perspective where communion is the highest priority, not being right. Where friendship is the highest priority, not tribalism. And again, so one of the, I think one of the byproducts of working through these mental health issues and working through societal and individual healing is that so much would emerge from that that would change our society as a whole. And it's like, oh, we don't need to drive and we don't need to take our beliefs so seriously. There's a concept in Zen called Zen mind is beginner's mind. And Suzuki Roshi coined it, so I'll give him credit. It's Zen mind is beginner's mind. Beginner's mind is compassionate mind. And a compassionate mind will change the world. And there's a lot of ways of interpreting beginner's mind, but essentially we get to re-emerge in the world moment by moment. And everything's new. And if we don't attach so strongly to our, our, our ideas of the world, especially from a place of trauma or anger or hate, then we let go of the self more. And when I don't cling on to idea A, B, C as much, then I don't see you as idea X, Y, Z. Right. I'm not taking my ideas so seriously or the self, then I don't have to take yours too seriously and, and, and put that barrier between us. And when that happens, your heart opens up. Compassion. Oh, we actually have a lot more in common. Oh, I actually see where they're coming from. Oh, this is really interesting. Wow. And then we have a space for dialogue, healing and growth. When your perspective is challenged, I feel like those are the moments when you see the world the clearest. And unfortunately, those often come when our life is threatened, when we've mm -hmm. gone through an experience where we thought we were going to lose a loved one. It's interesting mm -hmm. to kind of go through some of those life experiences. I'll give you an example. For the first time last year, 2021, I found out that my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer. In that moment, everything changed for me. Mm -hmm. The priorities that I had, the examples of the things that I was really thinking were important all changed because my perspective changed, which was very interesting. And it's sad that unfortunately we have to have those types of experiences in order to approach things from the beginner mindset, from the consciousness of recognizing, okay, what is really important here? And I think yeah. that's been a huge part of what has been called over the last couple of years, the great resignation. You know, yeah. people, when they went into their home so much, found the time to be able to discover what really made them happy. And it gave them the perspective that maybe going to the job that I don't enjoy isn't as important as it once was. But I do worry that very much like you said, the pendulum is on the other side. We naturally have the pendulum swing. And so we're going to experience these things then we're going to go back to the other way. And that's just mm -hmm. something that I think is very interesting because I often think about how lucky I am to wake up today how lucky I am to share this space right now with Brad to meet you in general. You know, mm -hmm. one of the frameworks that was very interesting to me and it was kind of playful was you will think about life differently when you get away from the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday mindset. And you recognize mm -hmm. that the universe has never experienced the next moment before. And it's not a yeah. Tuesday, but it's a brand new experience that we're all going through for the first time. 
And yeah. everything tied to your past, your limitations really does not exist because we can't influence those things. We can influence the future. And so that's why transformation and the changes that people go through, through experiences are so interesting to me because they give us that perspective. And I know you talked a little bit on the phone or when we were talking the other day about psychedelics and how they've given you the ability to kind of have that different experience as well. And so, you know, I think that is just so interesting that there are so many opportunities for us to experience the new moment for what it truly is, rather than putting ourselves in this kind of constrained uh, framework mentally. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm with, with no intent of trying to be poetic, but all of creation exists now. When, when, and there's, there's the intellectual way of understanding that. And then there's the deep Samadhi meditative state of understanding that, which are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll play the intellectual one. Cause it's just, it's just fun to talk about. And it's like, okay, if we conceptualize literally all of creation is happening now and reinventions happening now hardships happening now pain suffering sadness joy everything it's happening now the universe is being created now it's it's such a vast um esoteric but in some senses tangible experience and uh you know i've, I've been doing meditative work for a decade you're, you're not there most of the time mm-hmm. you know even even my zen masters of 50 years you know they still have their moments for sure um, and they say it's consistent work, but their perspective on life completely changes. And I think that's another thing that this, these kinds of dialogues that we're having is a very, in some senses in the West, a novel perspective. It's very new. It's very day way of different, very different way of perceiving the world around us and the possibilities that come when we do transformative deep work. And when you talk about the whole universe is, is doing its thing right now. There's implications of that. It's reinventing itself right now. It's changing right now. It's, it's like, whoa, <laughs> it's pretty damn cool. And of course, when we're in that contracted state, we don't experience that. We don't appreciate it. But a more heartfelt, expanded, grounded state, that becomes more intuitive. That becomes a little bit more visceral. And we can take that perspective and integrate it into our lives more. One of the things that I like as a practice is temporal distancing. So this is a cool cognitive practice you might like too, Keen. And I'm sure you probably do this, but the idea of asking a question, is this going to matter six months from now? Yes. Or is this going to matter two years from now? And when you can induce that state of awe or that perspective on life from when you dilate time like that, it's like, why am I even worrying? Yeah. (laughs) Life is bigger. And you can extrapolate from that to like, is the earth going to care? Is the sun going to care? Is the universe going to care? Are are the people around me going to care? Probably not. It's like, oh, get out of your head, get out of the ego, poor me. And then the problem sometimes resolves itself, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, breaking it down into those fundamental building blocks of, is it going to matter? And because ask yourself this question, Brad, how many decisions or problems have you come across that when you can give yourself the time horizon to say, will this matter in two years, three years, five years? The answer from me, when I come across those is often no. And so it's interesting that you can give that dilation, like you said, of that perspective, because it gives us so much room to breathe. And I think that's important to recognize that room to breathe is a fundamental human experience, but we don't tap into it very often. And, you know, hearing, you know, the consistent practice of your Zen masters and talking about a Zen master, being able to say that this is work every single day, this is consistency to get there is very refreshing to hear because nothing good in my opinion is instantaneous or built instantaneous, like things that are valuable. And maybe that's just the way in which I have belief systems built in my mind, but you know, good things take time and real change takes times as well. And that's just my perspective. Um, Maybe I'm a little old school when it comes to it like that with you, or maybe that's just some generational trauma that I'm kind of like living through. Um, But that framework is kind of how I see the world. And I do get worried about kind of the inability for us to create that dilation, that distance with some of our decisions and the perspective of what really matters. Um, It's super important. Yeah. And I think to come back to your point and round that a little bit, growth takes time. It's inevitable. And I've experienced a lot. And I'm, I'm by no means, you know, purporting to be like an expert here. Um, but, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of people who I would consider are experts, masters, gurus, et cetera. And all of them converge on that. The only, the only time I've seen exceptions to that sometimes are 
sometimes there are gurus in India who are literally surrounded in perfect environment, not perfect, but near perfect environments for practice all the time, which isn't really tangible for us. That's not really realistic. Can I pause on that for a second? So when you talk about the perfect environment, are you talking about like sound design, like scent design? We're talking like the entire environment. Okay. Yeah. You're talking nutrition, you're talking community, you're talking nature, you're talking getting up at four in the morning, uh, you know, to do pranayama and do your asanas. And it's it's very, very designed for getting in touch with the deepest sense of the self and dissolving into energy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Stuff that is, is frankly not very attainable um, for us living in, in the West, in the material world. Yeah. Um, but with that in mind, again, you go back to psychedelics and some of the deep breath work that I've done. We can have these peak experiences, which are can be extraordinarily insightful and alter our awareness. But we still need to create the internal alignment inside of ourselves and inside of our life to integrate that experience and make meaning from it. And then we have to take action in the direction that's going to actually change our life. Without those two components, the alignment and the action, then the awareness can, you know, have have limited effectiveness. I mean, naturally, I think of experiences that I've had where you've had that awe-inspiring moment, but you mm -hmm. do not facilitate the integration and the consistent practice to be able to continue on that road. And so, like you said, the awareness is great but it is a flash in the pan that gives us a perspective that was different. But unfortunately we fall back into the same routines and patterns um, where, and that's where it falls apart for me most of the time personally. Yeah. And that, and that's where the paradigm, I think we need to be a little quote unquote old school and remember that state elevation. um, Well, there's state elevation and then there's a, I'm trying to think of the name for it. We have to integrate the state into your life, which takes a long time. Mm -hmm months, weeks, years kind of thing, weeks, months, years. But once you do that, again, you can have permanent changes in your perspective, but we can't get away from the idea that real deep growth and transformation takes work. Now, on the positive side, it's profoundly transformative, extraordinarily uplifting. And once you go down that road, you'll never go back. (laughs) One of my favorite sayings right now is your work works on you more than you work on it, which is interesting. Because that's something that I completely relate with in that statement that you just made. But it's like, you know, the consistency of the work in itself is going to give us the change that we're looking for, but it's going to take a long time. It's not even the work itself, but it's the change that we see within ourselves. That's the real result of that, which is so, you know, fundamental in really understanding, but it kind of gets back to the idea of what you said, do have be. And so it's like, you know, what am I going to do first in order to get to that, you know, unless we kind of reverse that and then operate from the B perspective. Um, Brad, I've, you know, it's been incredibly refreshing kind of giving us the space to have this conversation. And that really is the motivation and the drive for the podcast and being able to have these types of conversations. You said something that was incredibly powerful. Your message is not coming from a place of expertise, but from my perspective, your message is coming from a place of common experience. And so understanding that you are having such an impact on people, myself individually, I was naturally gravitated towards your message and towards what you represent. And so I just want to give you a little bit of public opportunity um, to receive the praise that, you know, so many other people like the silent observers that I've experienced in my own practice of positivity are sending your way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. being able to share your story and being able to share your unique perspective is so refreshing. And, you know, I'm so excited for the future that you have in building your practice and building your following and building your community, because we need more people like you to start the wave. Yeah, I, I appreciate that beyond measure. I really do. Thank you. And at the end of the day, Keenan, I'm, I'm still stupid. Life, and I, I mean that. I'm not like, well, I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm learning every day. I'm cultivating practice. I have my blind sides. I have my moments. I see my mentors and my teachers weekly for a reason. <laughs> I'm still growing too. And <clears throat> if we can grow together and create a community where we're growing together and transforming the world together, I'm happy. I'm happy because I'll be doing this till I'm, hopefully I live till about 105, but every day is going to be a growth experience for me. So let's grow together. I'm going to learn from you. Hopefully you learn from me. We can learn from each other and transform the world. So I appreciate it beyond measure. Thank you. Well, it's an awesome place for us to end today, Brad. Once again, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Um, Once again, 
It's been an absolute pleasure. And I know everybody is going to have an opportunity um, to follow along with you in order to help people get a little bit closer to you and your message. How can people find you today? Where can they find you? What platforms, what website, what kind of stuff? Yeah, best way is LinkedIn. You can just Brad Reed, Brad Space Reed, B-R-A-D space R-E-E-D. Um, my email is brad at repurpose-u.com. That's R-E-P-U-R-P-O-S-E-U.com. And then my website's www.repurpose-u.com. And I think that's probably the best way. Yeah. And I'll be having lots of stuff coming out in the future. Um paid trainings and free trainings as well, um, paid workshops and free workshops. And just, I, I just want to put a lot of good out there at the same time too. So keep an eye out for that. Well, you're doing an amazing job. And once again, everybody go follow Brad, go to his website, hit him up on email, go check him out on LinkedIn. He's putting out absolutely nuggets of gold into the world. And, you know, we need it more so than ever. That's been another episode of the It's Telehealth podcast, guys, signing off. Thanks for joining again. Much appreciated. Hey, guys, that's been another great episode of the It's Telehealth podcast. If you're still hanging around, thank you so much. It would be an absolutely amazing favor to us if you liked and subscribed to the channel on our YouTube and our Spotify. We're always looking to get more feedback on how we're doing and producing these episodes for you guys. So if you have some feedback, we'd love to hear it. But once again, thank you so much for sticking around. Can't wait to bring another one to you. Have an amazing day. Looking forward to the next one.